Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome everybody to Nightlight. I'm so very glad you could join us tonight because it's going to be a great one. Uh, I want to first thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. Please check him out and his wife Deb on the internet. They are Native American storytellers and they have an amazing way of preserving history that is much better than textbooks. I sort of wanted to start out tonight with long ago in a galaxy far, far away, But the reality is, tonight's material happened in this galaxy, and a great deal of it happened on this planet. They say often that uh, truth is stranger than fiction, and and tonight's going to prove it for sure. It will be an awakening and something that will cause all of you to think a little bit and do some research on your own. I have with me tonight uh, Len Castern. Kasten, I'm sorry. Um, He's written a book called Dark Fleet, The Secret Nazi Space Program and the Battle for the Solar System. It's an amazing book. I certainly recommend you all read it. It details Operation Paperclip, which enabled the Nazis and their reptilian partners to infiltrate the U.S. military industrial complex, including NASA and the CIA. It reveals their interstellar spaceports in Antarctica and on Mars, their base on the moon, and their alien technologies, including nanotechnology, anti-gravity propulsion, mass mind control, and hyperdimensional teleportation capabilities. It shares testimonies from American and British super soldiers who participated in the 20 and back age regression programs revealing advanced human technology and our space armada that constitutes a counterbalance to the Nazi dark fleet. 
as Lynn reveals in uh, startling detail, including revelations of anti-gravity propulsion technology, alien techniques of mass mind control, and the hyperdimensional teleportation capabilities, the Nazi Reptilian Alliance used their newfound power, wealth, and influence to launch a secret space program with interstellar spaceports in Antarctica and on Mars, as well as an 11-story base of operations on the moon. They commenced mining and manufacturing operations on Mars and Ceres, forming colonies there and everywhere in the solar system. And most shocking, they have used thousands of human slaves, but easily transported in their spaceships for both work and sexual exploitation. Sharing testimonies from American and British super soldiers who participated in 20 and back age regression programs, he reveals the various forces inside and outside government that are, re- <clears throat> that are resisting the Nazis and thwarting repti- reptilian attempts to achieve total dominance of the planet and then the solar system. This U.S.-led secret space program has its own fleet of spaceships, the Solar Warden Space Armada, which patrols the edges of the solar system and poses a growing threat to the Nazi dark fleet. It's an amazing book. It will make you think. You'll go, aha. It will connect dots. And it will force you to sort of become a little more aware of some things that are happening outside of the mainstream that that most of us uh, have comfortably ignored or been ignorant of for a very long time. It wakes us up. And that's, that's a very important thing. Welcome to the show, Lynn. I'm so glad you're here tonight. Nice to be with you, Barbara. Um, Your material is is amazing. Uh, A lot of people have heard of some of these programs that that are mentioned in the book, but I don't think everybody, most people have put them all together to understand they're all linked. But before we go into um, the material that that your book, you know, basically covers the, the main stuff, I I would like people to sort of understand how this whole came to be, how how the reptilians really, I mean, they basically terraform this planet and and sort of take take everybody back, I don't know, millions of years, eons, however long it is, to, to how this all evolved so that they are, so highly entrenched beneath the surface of this planet and and have been able to control so many things, you know, outside of this planet um over time. Can you can we can we do that because I think I don't think people understand that that they actually were here first. Um on this planet, not this solar system of course, but they were on this planet first. Right. Yes, they got here first. They were first. So uh, we came along a lot later. How how many millions of years would you say they were here before? Um, I mean, there, there were humans in this solar system, but they weren't on this planet. They were on Mars and they were on um, Maldek? Yes, Maldek, gigantic planet Maldek, which was between Jupiter and Mars. Uh-huh. And uh, that planet was blown up, and millions of souls were killed. So that's the, how the they announced their arrival. 
That's how they announced their <laughs> arrival here. They uh, blew up a planet, and they, the uh, atmosphere on Mars was was slimmed down to the point where it wasn't breathable anymore. And the residents, the humans on Mars had to go underground. And then they terraformed this planet, and and uh, it was a water planet, it appears, and, and that there were then two land masses, you know, one that became um, Lemuria or Mu, and, and the other one later to become Atlantis. But, um, and... I, I think it was fascinating that they brought their food source with them, and their food source were the dinosaurs. Yes, right, exactly. Well, they came here on a planet-sized spaceship. It was really like a like a um, like a planet in and, in and of itself, so they could carry their all their livestock and all their flora and fauna with them, which they do, which they have been doing for many, many years, thousands of years. So, just like the uh, just like the planet size, the planet size spaceship shown in the Star Wars, it was exactly the same thing. Like a mothership. It was a spaceship, yeah. So, so they they came here and they settled and and then they began to stretch themselves out and they wanted to sort of take over the solar system, and at that time, there there was a federation of. Um, um, what did they call it? human federation of yes. civilizations, and um, right. that was over a hundred um, star systems. So that so that there, it was a vast organization, and they wanted to um, hold the reptilians in place, so to speak. So they sent uh, a group of powerful soldiers from. Uh, place called um was it atlant they were called the atlan they were from the pleiades right and they settled they settled on go ahead they settled on what what became this continent of atlantis yes Uh that's that's where it got its name from because uh they were the atlans they were called the atlans and that of course was in the atlantic that was in the atlantic uh so so then a war broke out between the two groups because the the Atlans um, <laughs> were killing the dinosaurs because they were trampling their gardens. Basically, I think it probably had more. There was more to it than that. Right. But um. But they used the federation, um, the federation. The federation sent the Atlans here to confront the reptilians. They did not want to. Uh, they did not want to let the reptilians take over the solar system. Uh huh. So they they did they used um, they used tremendous technology to basically sink Lemuria. It was um, yeah. electromagnetic technology they used to destabilize the foundation of the continent, and and the continent sank. That's right. That's that, that's what and, happened according to Stuart Birdlow. Mm-hmm. And so and so. The reptilians went underground, but they were used to that because their home planet Draco, uh, that's that's how they lived there. And, I mean, they had amazing, amazing uh, technology, and they they evolved unbelievably and um, decided, and, you know, they were going, their point was to come back and to have revenge against the Atlanteans. Um, but but it's it's it fascinated me that that they were 
while they were the and it was thousands of years we're talking we're not talking you know a couple of decades we're talking thousands of years it, it appears and so right. but before they before they launched their um their attack they 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 had um what did they call them they they infiltrated the atlanteans with um people who were um programmed to you know to turn an attack they were mentally um engineered so that they 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 infiltrated them into the all areas and all aspects of the atlanteans so that when their attack came there was a there was another attack from inside so that basically the Atlanteans didn't stand a chance. Yeah, they call that the fifth column. That's that become known as the fifth column uh, type of thing. They sent mm-hmm. a lot of saboteurs and spies in to probe the weaknesses of the Atlanteans and to get ready for the attack. And when it came, it sank the, it sank the continent of Atlantis overnight. In one night, it went down. And that was the famous, uh, that's how the famous flood story got started. And that sank beneath the Atlantis, the Atlantic. And uh, but before that happened, the the Atlanteans had shamans and they had psychics who knew what was coming, and they had alarmed, they had uh, warned the population, and they had started a mass migration away from Atlantis to Central America, to Egypt, to uh, to uh, Asia, all over the continent. They uh-huh. founded wisdom schools there, and they started. Uh, colonies and all those places so a lot of them had already left before the sinking of atlantis but the continent itself went down in one night that's that's commemorated in in certain uh literature and in the movies we know about the, the sinking of atlantis so and, so uh, this is this is all the it, it's all well before the pre-adam um generation the, you know the Garden of Eden, Eden guys, and stuff like this. This is, this is before all of that. This is, um, how, millions of years, thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years. Before what? How far I'm back? But before, before pre-Adam. Um, so this well, was Atlantis, before Atlantis. Atlantis came into existence. The Atlantean civilization came into existence about forty thousand years ago. Okay. So uh, they built a golden civilization uh, on Atlantis, and uh, they developed incredible technology and spiritual development, and uh, uh, it was an amazing civilization. And so that when it went down, it really, it really wiped out the whole Atlantean culture. But you know, but but there are pieces of it still around, or they did survive, and they did help to evolve um, other cultures here on the planet as as they developed. Exactly, exactly. That's right. Central America, um, Asia, and particularly Egypt. Egypt, Egypt was the main colony uh, of Atlantis, <clears throat> and that ex- that explains the amazing architecture in in Egypt uh, that, uh-huh. that come, came right out of the desert, out of nowhere. Uh, right, at the, right from the very start, there was no prim, there was no primitive civilization in Egypt. The the entire sophisticated uh, civilization sprang up as if overnight. That's because it was an yeah. Atlantean colony. <clears throat> well, and 
and and Rome and Greece as well. Um, you know, their philosophies and 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 everything were were so advanced uh, compared to what had been there prior to that as well. Right. Now, now the Atlantean so, the Atlantean humans the Atlantean humans were different than Homo sapiens sapiens. They were they were a different breed. They were much more advanced than we are. We came we came along later. What happened after okay. Atlantis sank is, what? Yeah, no, that you're going exactly where I was going to ask you to. Go ahead. Yeah, we came along later because uh, the Federation, which the Federation had sent the Atlans here in the first place, conv- convened a, uh, a conference in in uh, Andromeda, on the planet of Hatona, uh, and it was decided then that uh, they would create a whole new race here of humans. And they invited the reptilians to the con- to the conf- conflict to the conference, and it was decided then that uh, twelve human civilizations would contribute their DNA to a new race, to be co- to a new human race that would be uh, created in uh, what was real what is really now south south uh, east Turkey, which became known uh-huh. as the Garden of Eden, and. Um, that's how we. That's how we came to be. That's how the human race began. Began to be formed. The new human race, what we call the Adamic human race. The Atlanteans uh-huh. were really considered pre Adamic. Well, yeah, be, because they were more or less pure, and and the Homo sapiens sapiens had a little bit of this and a little bit of that, including the um, reptilians. As well, yeah. The reptilian, the reptilian brain. We agreed. The uh, the Elohim, the human race that convened the convocation on Hotana, agreed to allow the new the new race to have the reptilian brain because um, it seemed like it would be advantageous in terms of giving humans a fight or flight capability, would make them uh-huh. more resilient and more able to handle emergencies, and so they agreed with that. And uh, 12, 12 human civilizations contributed their DNA to what we now know as the human race and what has since become Homo sapiens sapiens. But that wasn't the, so, that wasn't the end of it because okay. it was also agreed that 22 other upgrades would take place over the years. Other human civilizations in the galaxy agreed that they would upgrade the original human race, which was more or less... Uh, it wasn't exactly Neanderthal, but it was a little above Neanderthal. So over those over the long period from that point to now, 22 upgrades have taken place on this uh, of the human race, and now we have what we call Homo sapiens sapiens, a civilization able to understand high technology, to drive automobiles, to fly planes, and to operate computers. Uh, all this was all this was due to the fact that we've been upgraded 22 times. Wow. <laughs> Well, so so all of this has taken place, but while all of this has taken place, the reptilians have been still, they apparently have no um, sense of morals, no values, no, they are um, without compassion. And well, they're a, it, it, they're a different race. They're a different race. They don't have the same DNA that we do. So they don't have any uh-huh. heart chakra. They have no concept of love or compassion, and they have nothing but contempt for us. So that's what we're up against here. 
They're a whole different species. We have to understand that they're very different species. They have they have incredible mental ta- capabilities. Uh, their mentality is unbelievable, much more advanced than we are, and they, therefore they had very high, sci- high scientific developments because they've been they've been they've been floating around this galaxy for thousands of years before they came here. So they're way ahead of us. So- so so they for for a great length of time have been underground sort of waiting for their moment to um to reassert themselves on the surface to a degree and and it 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 feels as though they were looking for a group of a group of people to um infiltrate to try to take over the surface once again, and they chose the German people. Why, why did they choose the German people? No, it's, it's not that they were looking for an opportunity, no. They have been controlling us and managing us right from the very beginning. Okay. Uh, they, have, they have deprived us of all the high technology that they have. Uh, they have incredible technology that we don't have. They have, anti, they have anti-gravity uh, spaceships. They have incredible computing capability. They've, they've kept all that from us, and they've kept us under control, and they have managed us all these years. As a matter of fact, they've even eaten us because they do eat humans. They do eat human flesh and drink human blood. So really we're like a, we're like a, we're like a, a pack of cattle for them, and they come and get us whenever they want us, and uh, they eat us. <laughs> <laughs> just like in the just, just like in the movie uh, that uh, based on that idea. Well, so what happened with with Nazi Germany then? Because something did happen with with them becoming more and more obviously working with us. I mean, there's they um, infiltrated into the German people um, to the point where there was even I don't know crossbreeding, so that the Nazis. Um, had had control of a great deal of technology, but for some reason they weren't using it as much as as you know one would have thought they would. Well, we have to we have to talk about the Illuminati at this point. Okay. The, the Illuminati are a mixed bloodline of uh, have a very high very high percentage of reptilian blood, and uh, they work for the they work for the reptilians. And they manage they manage the uh, human race. They're in the highest positions in of um, of, uh, of of media of the media, the banking situation, the educational system. Uh, they really control they really control our civilization. And uh, okay. they are the ones that carry out the basic management tech prop the basic management. Uh, problems of the reptilians they take care of that and the reptilians reward them very highly for that but the reptilians are in control i i got that but it seems that when when and just prior to world war ii the reptilians were helping the the german scientists develop a lot of um higher tech um Armory battle stuff than than the United States had, so in a, in a way they well, did seem to pick sides. Well, yes, they uh, they made a pact with Hitler. Okay. I should say Hitler made a pact with them, 
and uh, they helped Hitler's scientists develop so-called wonder weapons. Uh-huh. They, they were responsible for for development of the jet jet aircraft and uh, the 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 V two bomb uh, the V two bombs bombers and uh-huh. much more high high science and technology than uh, they were giving to anyone else. And so that's well, they, that's why Hitler felt confident enough to take on the entire world, because he knew he had them behind him. Mm-hmm. And you know there was an arrogance there too, because even though, um, even though it appeared that they were going to lose the war, they didn't seem to, because early on they were developing a base in the Antarctic. And um, what right. was the purpose of that base? Well, that was going to be that was going to be their basic inter, interplanetary uh, headquarters, from which they would launch uh, missions to the Moon and Mars and other planets in the solar system and beyond. And they were being helped by the reptilians to build that base in Antarctica. They took they took an ancient base that already existed there, and they they basically upgraded it. And that became what became known as Base 211. And it was from Base 211 uh-huh. that all their interplanetary uh, missions were launched and how they eventually took over the moon and Mars. So they, they moved their basic during, in, uh, aerospace technology to Antarctica. So prior to the end of the war, there was, there was a, almost a mass migration from Germany to Antarctica, because there were boats and there were um, generals and there were a lot of um, slaves, uh, you know, captives that, that are. That I, to I, I, would, I wouldn't un- call it a mass migration. I wouldn't call it a mass migra- mass migration. Uh, okay. Uh, Heinrich, Heinrich, Heinrich Himmler was put in charge of that whole operation, and his main his main preoccupation was with creating a a very uh, uh, high. Uh, Aryan, Aryan culture, with so-called non uh, that that was not allow, allowing any uh, other input into into the the, the race, uh-huh. and so everyone who came, everyone who was sent to Antarctica was checked out in terms of their Aryan their Aryan uh, heritage, uh, and they want, he wanted to he wanted to make sure he built a a, a uh, an Aryan culture in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't exactly a mass migration. They sent they sent about thirty six thousand slaves there, and some of the highest science and scientists science, scientists and uh, engineers to Antarctica, and then he let the rest of uh, Germany go up in flames and was reduced to ashes. General and, population, uh, yeah. And in the meantime, Hitler got out. He he went to Argentina, I believe. Hitler um, escaped to Argentina. Yes, he did in 1945. He and his he and his girlfriend uh, Eva Braun and their two children uh, were taken across the Atlantic in a very large submarine that that stayed underwater the entire trip to Antarctica to uh, Argentina. And uh, he'd already had a house built there for him in 1943 so he was prepared he was prepared Uh for the end 
is there any is there any information as to you know I I've seen a lot of reports of you know they they trace him and they've identified that he was there along with Borman and uh, a lot of other um, high ranking Nazi officers. Uh, what became of him? When did he die? Is there any any indication as to when he did finally die? Uh, the or the is consensus he, or is, is he... that he actually uh, Eva Braun left him. Uh, in about 1960, she took the two children and moved about 250 miles away. So he was left alone there. And um, supposedly he died in 1962. By that time, wow. the base, by that time, the, uh, the, the, the German scientists and the German businessmen didn't want to have anything to do with him anymore anyway, because they oh. knew he had, uh, he, he had screwed up the war for them. And uh, by making so many mistakes, and they just wanted they just want him out of the picture entirely. So he died alone essentially in Argentina, while the uh, the Nazi scientists, aerospace engineers, bioscientists were all at base two eleven in Antarctica. Well, but also we had Operation Paperclip where where Russia and us basically divided up all of their scientists. And you know, brought them. You know, we brought our share to to the U.S. We gave them new names. We gave them, you know, all technology. You know, they they had the the information that the reptilians had given the Nazis, and the Nazis, you know, then supposedly shared stuff with us. So, um, you know, it's it's. All of these different programs that, you know, Operation Paperclip, the most famous of it, I think the one that most people know about anyhow, that all of these scientists were were Nazis and we just brought them over because of the knowledge they had. But they were, I mean, von Braun became the head of our space program or, or rocket program anyhow. Yeah, well, the, the, the science, all of the... Uh... All the most desirable scientists and engineers were taken over here under Operation Paperclip because uh, Alan Dulles was the head of the CIA and his brother John Foster Dulles was the head of the State Department. And they were known to be Nazi sympathizers, especially Alan Dulles. And so uh, Paperclip uh, brought over even some of the worst Nazis came here under Operation Paperclip and they had their... Uh, their rec- their records scrubbed so that no- none of their Nazi affiliations would be shown, because Truman had made a very uh, a very strong uh, program had created a strong program that no Nazis would come to America, no ex-Nazis would be allowed here, and so they had to clean up their records. They were brought over under paperclip, and about 1,100 of them came here, and were distributed to a lot of American companies and universities. They got great jobs right from the outset. Von Braun himself came over in 1955, uh, I'm sorry, 1950, under Operation Paperclip. And uh, he, had to, he had to live in, at, at Fort Bliss, Texas for five years, where he was under basically under armed guard. Anywhere he went, he had to go with, a, with a, uh, an armed guard. But gradually, he, they worked their way into, uh, into, American, into American technology. And he was allowed to uh, take over the Redstone Arsenal. And from there, uh, he graduated into what 
became the highest ranks of uh, of our of our technical uh, and aerospace engineers, uh, our top science, aerospace companies. Well, it seems that that uh, the Illuminati are they they took this period, this time period, in which to infiltrate almost every level of government, almost every level of of you know really important. Um, technological, the, the companies, the you know, they they seem to have become in such control that that that, and it's the Nazi philosophy. I I don't know that they, um, you know, they don't wear the little pin and they don't do the salute, but but it's the Nazi philosophy that that has been in, infiltrated into our government, into our um, all of our research. I mean. Um, you know they they have been basically in control of a of a great like the Montauk project that that was Nazi money that funded that I believe. Yeah. Well, you have to understand that uh, John Forster Dulles was the Secretary of State. Alan Dulles was the head of the CIA. Between them, they controlled just about everything in government. And Eisenhower had no previous no previous diplomatic or uh, government uh, experience, so they were able to manipulate him one hundred percent. And bring over all the ex Nazis, including the the ex uh, Nazi spy spy master uh, Reinhard Galen, was also uh-huh. very important. Uh, he and he and Alan Dulles became friends, actually. So uh, that that infiltration was was the result of uh, that stemmed from Operation Paperclip, but really, Paperclip was the source of all of that. And it was only it only existed because the Dulles brothers were basically in charge, and Eisenhower couldn't prevent it. So they wow. they they actually wormed their way into the top aerospace jobs, into top banking jobs, into top media jobs, uh, little by little. And of course, they had their headquarters in Antarctica and in Argentina, and uh, they had a tremendous amount of money. That they had stolen from all their all their uh, civilizations in Europe, uh-huh. the the, uh, the 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 gold, all the platinum, tremendous amount of uh, of money was brought to Argentina by uh, by uh, Mormon, Hitler's lieutenant, and so that amount of wealth was used to develop the. Um, the Antarctic colony, and also to finance their 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 voyages into into outer space. Well, you know what what it appears to me, and, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that all of our quote unquote secret, and you know, if I know about it, it's not a big secret, but about all of these programs that have been, I guess, dark programs like. Pegasus and the Montauk Project and, um, you know, a lot of the other ones, um, it's it's because we had these scientists over here and we had their information and their technology in order to do the, the, um, the jump rooms and the, uh, the, uh, the regression in time. And, and I mean, it's, it, it, it appears that almost all of our material and discoveries and everything even tesla was was connected to the nazis so that his, not really his no, tesla, energy... was, tesla was not tesla was not connected to the nazis not really 
It shouldn't yeah. be forgotten. It should not be forgotten that they also infiltrated our military, the highest ranks of our military. Okay. So having that having that advantage, they were able to uh, get a lot of things done that way. But here they here were they were in the State Department. They were in the CIA. They were uh, our whole spy apparatus was was built around German ex German spies. Uh, uh-huh. So basically, we became we became Nazified here, and uh, when the American aerospace engineers realized the advantage that the Germans had in Antarctica, they decided to go down there also. Don't forget, there was a lot of uh, German sympathy and Nazi sympathy among the the businessmen in America before the war as well. Uh, Henry Ford uh-huh. cooperated with them. A lot of a lot of uh, a lot of the uh, Financial uh, titans of America were involved with German German development and German technology. So this wasn't this wasn't totally new as a, as a result of paperclip. It had been going on since beginning before World War II. And as a matter of fact, the two Dulles brothers went to Germany in 1933, representing one of America's top law firms, and helped Hitler and helped finance Hitler's run for the chancellorship in Germany. So they they had hel- actually helped him come into power in, in 1933. Well, yeah. I, I think I, I read somewhere, I, I'm pretty sure your book, that Hitler didn't even read uh, write Mein Kampf. It was written for him. That's right. Uh, Haushofer, one of the uh, intellectuals, a German intellectual who was not really a, a firm Nazi, Helped him write the book. Carl Haushofer. Wow. He was an ex. He was an ex general from the uh, the First World War. Well, I, I guess maybe what what I you know because this seems so obvious and and you see the connections and you see how it evolves. Probably there you know there has been this kind of control from you know for for generations, but. It just seems so obvious with this particular part of our history to see how the technology and the technology they had was phenomenal. I mean, when when Operation High Jump took place, um, when they went to to try to um, destroy or or check out the Antarctic um, base, um, they had they had saucers that attacked. And and drove them back. Um, well, the the, uh, the general who developed the saucer technology was uh, Hans Kammler, K A M M L E R, and uh, uh-huh. he 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 reported to Himmler, and his headquarters were in Czechoslovakia, and it was under him that the first Nazi flying saucers were developed. Uh, he was technically speaking, he was uh, brilliant, really, and but he was also ruthless. Uh, he was involved with the building of the concentration camps, with the gas, the gassing of the Jews, all of that. But he was able to he was able to uh, do amazing th- engineering stuff because uh, he had he he had the ability to to do that. And so Hitler promoted him to head of the uh, head of the Air Force before uh, before he actually uh, left. Basically, eventually, Kamala left left Czechoslovakia and went to Antarctica. And 
when he got to Antarctica, he uh, brought with him all the all the flying saucer technology that they had developed in Czechoslovakia. And so that's that way they were able to to build the, the flying saucers in Antarctica in one year, 1946, with his help. Uh, and they already okay. had a slave po- they already had a slave population in Antarctica of about 30,000 slaves. They already had 6,000 scientists there. So by the time Kamler got there, he had a complete working workforce to work with. And so when the uh, when Operation High Jump commenced in late 46 and 47, Kamler was ready. He had he had developed the flying saucers. They were already in production in Antarctica. And when uh, when Admiral Byrd arrived in Antarctica with his fleet of 13 ships, the flying saucers came out of the water and started sinking the ships and uh, killed 68 Marines on board one of the vessels. And uh, Admiral Byrd had no, no choice but to turn around and go home. He was supposed to be there for four months. He left. He left after two months. Wow. And and you know they. It's interesting. They they are focused on world domination, and yet the Antarctic um, post uh, seems to be more concerned with um, the uh, colony on the moon and the colony on Mars than it than it really has to do with the Earth. Well, they developed the colony in Antarctica in 1938. They uh-huh. sent over a, uh, a large ship with two uh, with two planes on board and uh, specialists in every science and every technology and, and uh, every field of endeavor. That ship, the, the Schwabenland, uh, was, was the ship that basically was responsible for the development of the Antarctic colony in, 19, in 1938. Now, keep in mind that in 1938, that was a year prior to the German uh, invasion of Poland. So World War II hadn't even started when they went over there. So essentially, they weren't they weren't terribly interested in winning World War II anymore. Their main interest uh-huh. was in creating a uh, interplanetary base in Antarctica, and that became known as Base 211. And their top scientists. Uh, the, the top technology uh, engineers all went to Antarctica. And that became a thriving colony, uh, which they which they hoped to keep racially racially pure, uh, and uh, that's where their that's where their their trips to the within the solar system began from Antarctica. So they really didn't much care what went on on the Earth at that point. It was it was you know just using it as a jump off place, and if if the locals got out of hand, they just swat them down, basically, right? Yeah, and they didn't mind abandoning the German population. They knew that uh, they were all going they were all be dying in the American air age. They knew that. They figured uh-huh. that they could later go back and read. They, they guess they took the position that they could always rebuild Germany later, uh, which they did, which they did. And they didn't uh-huh. care that uh, Germany got destroyed initially, but they were they were more interested in uh, colonies on Mars and on the Moon. That was their main focus. And what about today? Um, well, they've are developed. They still... those, they've, 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 well, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I mean, are they still at that base, or has that base been sort of um, let go, and and now they're 
more on the moon and, and Mars. Is that, or, or do they still utilize that base? Well, let me read to you what uh, Kenny Bradley said. Kenny Bradley was what, what might be called a super soldier. She, uh-huh. um, she was taken up to uh, Mars as a young girl and trained there and uh, educated there and trained to be a pilot in the Dark Fleet. The Dark Fleet is their uh, air base on the, on the moon, consisting of a uh, tremendous amount of uh, aircraft that are way beyond anything we have. And um, let me just read to you what she says. Sure. Every country that has nuclear weapons is part of the program. Earth is not being run for humanity, but for elites. And they are planning on leaving. They think they will be spared because they are allied with the Dracos. Not likely. She, uh, she went through a complete training program on Mars, and uh, she takes the position that um, – let's see if I can find this. She claims well, she can... that Mars, Mars is now a German planet, essentially, and okay. uh, the, only other, the only other humans on Mars besides, besides the Nazis – are slaves, and uh, they control Mars now, and they control the Moon. So they're in they're in charge now of the solar system, and they have incredible technology to back them up, given to them by the reptilians, and they manage life on Earth here through the through the Illuminati. So we've basically been under their thumb for a long time. We don't realize it. We do know that life has not been very easy here. We know that compared uh-huh. to what they have there. Because they have the, they have all the high technology. They have incredible computers. They have incredible biotechnology. They can travel throughout the solar system and the galaxy, and they keep us here as a sort of uh, a cattle ranch. And that's now, the situation. Now, that's what, was was she considered a super soldier? Was she one who took place in the twenty and back um, age regression program? Who Penny Bradley? Yeah. She was she was abducted at the age of four. She was taken mm-hmm. to Mars, uh, and she was basically uh, treated, take, more or less supervised by the reptilians. Uh, and then she was taken to Mars at the age of ten. She was educated there, and she was gradually trained to become a pilot. It discovered that she had a lot of natural ability in terms of. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Flying, and uh, they turned her into a pilot in the dark fleet. And uh, she, she remained a pilot there on Mars for many years. From nineteen, from the age of nineteen to uh, into her thirties. Wow. So, you know, I, I think one of the things that fascinates me with, with some of the technology they have, because um, they were talking about that, that if, you were, if you were injured, if you lost an arm, if you lost it, they have regeneration tanks that they're able to put you in, and, and it will regrow back whatever limb has been destroyed or, or injured. Um, the technology that they have available to them is phenomenal. 
Um, it's amazing technology. It's ama- the, the regeneration tanks can regrow a limb, an arm, or a leg, or an organ. They can even restore uh, dead people back to life again. That's how powerful it is. Uh, they've had that technology now for many years. And uh, that's why when, when they create a super soldier, uh, they know that the super soldier will have the advantage over any other uh, any other enemy soldiers that they may uh, encounter. If they can well, they'll be them, fearless. Yeah. They, yeah, they won't. They won't care. They know they can be rebuilt again. Exactly. But, but that's just that's just the beginning. They uh, there were two men there that supposedly uh, returned to Mars that had been uh, trained by the by the dark fleet that were over a hundred years old, and they appeared to be just an ordinary ordinary age. They can they can basically defeat old age. They already have that ability. They know how to do that. Their, biotech, their biotechnology on Mars is unbelievable. But the main thing that they do on Mars in their laboratories there is they create cyborgs. Uh, I think you know, what a, you know what a cyborg is, right? Yeah, I, sort of like a, um, well, it, it, it's almost, uh, it's not mechanical, but it is sort of. It's a... It's, uh, human without a soul among other things you know it's has intelligence it functions like a human well do you remember that old do you remember that tv series do you remember that tv series in the 60s called the million dollar man i do yes remember that it's sort of like that yep they can create a they can create a creature that is part human and part uh electronic and it's it's developed so that it would just obey orders, basically. But it it does have the ability to do creative thinking as well. And eventually, the cyborgs become self-aware. They're no uh-huh. longer just machines. But in order to become a cyborg, they have to have a, at least a small piece of human consciousness. It's built around human consciousness. So they are part human. And... Uh, the Nazi scientists on Mars are creating thousands of cyborgs and they're selling them all over the galaxy to civilizations that want an instant armed force, an armed force. And they get an army overnight. So uh, that's what, that's what they do on in their lab, in that laboratory on Mars. What what happened to the uh, Human Federation of Civilizations? Did they just desert us? What happened with that was that uh, they kept in the picture. They stayed in the picture. And they've been slowly working with uh, the U.S. Navy and helping the Navy to design and build huge spaceships. Uh, and... Uh, this this is all told in a new book by um, by William Tompkins. Do you have you heard of William Tompkins? Yes, I have. He wrote a book called Selected by Extraterrestrials. You know about that book? I've heard of it. Well, he was working for Douglas Aircraft in the United States, uh, helping to design these incredible new spaceships. Some of which are over a kilometer in length. They're huge. And they uh-huh. became part of our our spaceship technology, our spaceship fleet. And it became known as Solar Warden. 
It's right. not to say that we're able to defeat the Germans yet, but we do have the fleet. And we create these huge spaceships, which are manufactured in the Utah desert underground. Um, and then when they're ready, the, the earth opens up and they, they, come out of the, they come out of the earth. So we have the technology. We already can travel throughout the galaxy. And uh, as Ben Ridge said, we, we now have the ability to take E.T. home. And Ben Ridge also said, anything you can imagine, we can already do. But it's locked up in top secret facilities so that it would take an act of God to ever get them out. So we have it. We have it, but we can't use it. But it's not over yet. The game is not over yet. Well, now, is this now. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, is this the same program that, that Colonel Bota was uh, part of? Colonel who? Bota? Bota? Uh, Botha? Can't remember how to pronounce Rico his Bo- name. Rico Bota? Rico yeah. Bota? Yes. Yeah. yeah. He was put in charge of it. That's correct. He was an admiral. He was a Navy admiral. Okay. And, and uh, he, was, he debriefed people that came back, as I recall. No. Um, yes, right. Or that's was right. part of he it. He debriefed them. Then. That's correct. Yeah. So, we had Corey spies, Good. We had, uh, we, we had spies in Germany get... who were mm-hmm. aware of what the Germans were doing, and we they were aware of the technology, and they were bringing back that information to Douglas Aircraft. Yes, that's correct. That's all in Tompkins' now, book. So, now, was was so, is Solar Warden what Corey Good was connected to, or was he part of the Dark Fleet? No, he was in the he was in Solar Warden. Okay, so yeah, he was, he was so, on a ship. He was on a ship called the Arnold Sommerfeld. Mhm. I mean, when when you start talking about some of these programs, you know, you 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 get blown away by the fact that there are um, like jump rooms where you you go into an elevator on at some place on the planet and you walk out the other side on the moon or somewhere else. Um, Teleport, yes, it's we amazing. have teleportation. Yeah, we do have teleportation. That's right. And uh, well, it can be used for space. It can be used to teleport through space or to teleport through time. But nothing is really being done to confront the dark fleet. I mean, are we... It, it just seems to me that the, the, they're running, you know, the solar system... And to the detriment of humanity. So, is there a plan at some point in time to try to take them on? Is I mean, it just seems to me that that um, having Solar Warden out there is great. And and I think one of the fascinating things about uh, Solar Warden was that the some of the first spaceships that we put out there with Solar Warden were were basically nuclear subs that were prepared for space. Um, some of them were, well some of them were built, that's right. Some of them were built at the submarine uh, facilities in New London, Connecticut, the same place that we made, that we built the nuclear subs. Exactly. That's right. But, but now they're so much bigger. They're, they're almost miles long. It, it seems. Um, 
if all of that is going on, why why um, is the planet not aware of it? Why is this information not out there? Well, when, when you I say mean, the planet, when you say the planet, who? Oh, I'm talking about the U.S. Basically, <laughs> um, it just seems to me that that to keep all of this from the general population seems foolish. Why is that? Why is that happening? Is it that those the Illuminati who are in charge are preventing it? What is it that that is holding back all of him, all of all of humanity from from taking advantage of some of these amazing technologies that are out there? Glenn? He doesn't, he's, he's quiet. <laughs> I hope I didn't scare him off here. Um, give him time. Um, I can't hear you, Lynn, if you're talking. Oh, he did drop. So, um, my, you know, there, there have been so many amazing discoveries, so many amazing um, things that have happened, the, the, the technology that, that we have gained. And it does, uh, it does, it's it's a little frightening to know that, that these types of programs are out there. Um, scientists connected to these programs have done things like time travel. They have photographs of, of people who, uh, one young man who was at the Gettysburg Address, and there is an old photo that shows him there. Um, so that time travel has taken place. I know that uh, Nikola Tesla was, was working on time travel as well. Um, before his untimely death and his notebooks being taken and not found, uh, it 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 is really a, a frightening and um, a little upsetting to see that that um, so much is going on, and we think we're well informed, and the reality is there's so much going on behind closed doors, so to speak, whether it's the Illuminati, whether it's um, other other entities trying to control the human population, you know, we seem to think we know it all and we seem to think that, that you know, we we have total control of our realities and the reality is that, that we don't seem to. Um, I certainly think that this book was a fascinating book and I absolutely loved it. So um, welcome back, Len. Hi, I'm back. Ah. Oh, nice of you to visit us. I was wondering how I was going to fill the next hour. I'm so glad you're here. Um, okay. I was I was talk I was talking about um, all of this technology that is out there, all of this technology that our government is taking part in. Is, you know, Solar Warden, the jump rooms, all of that. Um, why is it not shared knowledge? I mean, there's medical stuff that's out there that could you know certainly help the general population. Why is it not being shared? Well, the question you have to ask yourself is who's our, who controls our government? Yeah, okay. And, I, and remember, we discussed the fact that the military, the so-called cabal, is working with the Nazis. Ever since Eisenhower, they have been. So who is it in our government that's going to do all this for us? Wow. And yet we have Solar Warden out there. 
Yes, we so do. So that this has this has to be there have to be some that that are 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 looking out for the rest of us, I guess. Um I think that that one of the fascinating things I was just talking about before you took your brief walk around the block um was the time travel portal um you know that that they were experimenting with and they have shown I, I was telling them that there was a picture of a young man at uh, what would become the Gettysburg address in an old photograph um they, they can prove that they they traveled him back and he came back um why is it um you know i i've done some reading on the on the subject of this i they do a lot of this work with young children as opposed to adults. Is there a reason that that the scientists utilize young children instead of adults? Well, the children are easier to work with. They obey orders and they do what they're told, and um, they have found that uh, that works better for them. Um, uh, it's it's not that they they don't use humans uh, adults as well, but. Um, the technology, basically, they have the technology. They control the technology. Uh-huh. So uh, they've had the time travel technology for quite a long time already. And uh, they were using it at Montauk Point, which was basically a German colony. Montauk was a, yeah. basically a German yeah. operation. I, I, I think it you're was definitely... About, are you talking about... What? I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it was financed by German money. I, I knew that, and I, I knew that they had uh, some German scientists that worked there as well. Um, I had uh, Peter Moon on the show, and we were talking about um, the Montauk Project, Project Pegasus. What did he have, What did he have to say about it? Um, he uh, he was talking about how how it was basically rather brutal. And um, that that uh, it got out of control at some point. And um, I, as I recall, uh, there were a number of, of young kids that, that that died in their experimentation there. They were taking them right off the streets of Montauk. And they were sending them into uh, the future, and they never came back. Interesting. Yeah. They lost a lot of them that way. Well, don't forget that was a Nazi operation. What, what do you expect? Yeah, they were brutal. They were and MK Ultra the same way. Um, it, with with a lot of these programs, there was a there was a great deal of, you know, you would like to think that that investigation into areas like this would be compassionate, kind, and gentle. And yet, every program that I've read about, there, there's there's brutality connected to it. Um, with with some of the um, the kids, uh, they they were mistreated in order to get them to a place where they became more psychic. And um, with Penelope, um, she was beaten until she literally fragmented herself to a certain degree in order to be able to deal with the things she had to deal with, as I recall. And that it's taken her a long time to reincorporate those different fragmented pieces of her personality back into herself. That's right. But let's not forget that anything the Nazis control is brutal, okay? Just remember, these are the same people that started the concentration camps and 
and gassed millions and millions of people in uh, Germany. So we're dealing with the same mentality. The reptilians have no compassion for anybody, and they've, they've uh, they basically transferred that, that to the Nazis, too. The Nazis are the same way. They have no, they have no con- con- contempt. They have nothing but contempt for uh, humans. Hmm. So that, that they would act that way at Montauk doesn't surprise me at all. Oh yeah, no, they were they were um, they they were definitely not not treated well, and um, the mind control bit too. Um, they used you know a lot of sexual stuff in order to get people to a point where they were most um, sensitive or most attuned. So that so that uh, it's it's brutal. I have a friend who was part of MK Ultra, and you know she talks about how how awful it was, and and how she is still trying to put her life back together because of the treatments that she received. So was she um, in the military? Was she in the military? No. Oh. Okay. No. Just just. Uh, very sensitive, very intuitive, and and they manipulated her and they treated her awfully. Um, we're not going to talk about how badly they treated people, but, well, but I covered they, that. I it, covered it, that in the book. I'm sure. I'm sure you you read that part of my book, didn't you? Oh yeah. I no. I that. yes. I of course I did. But but I it's 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 so brutal that that you you it's the kind of trauma that in order to survive it, you have to go to a place inside yourself and shut yourself off from what's happening to you. Exactly. And exactly. I, I, think, I think that's what they were, they were aiming at. But um, I find it fascinating that, that they were uh, focused on kids and people who were sensitive, who had some form of telepathy or ESP or whatever, that that seemed to enhance their... Um, their, their enhance, enhance their their utilization for their programs. And, yes, um, exactly. That's right. So, <clears throat> so not being psychic uh, is to one's advantage here. Um, so, our solar warden, um, our 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 armada. Um, Patrols the edges of the solar system, and and in some way, are they trying to hold back the dark fleet? Are they trying to um, compromise it? Well, you might say that uh, we're cooperating with them because they have they have all the they have all the cards. They control uh-huh. the, all, the, all the top technology. They have quantum computers on Mars. I don't know if you know how how fast a quantum computer is. Uh, do you know anything at all about computers? A little bit, yeah. Quantum computers are so fast, they make our current technology look like child's play. Uh-huh. And that, that allows them to create incredible technology. That's easy. The quantum computer, we, have, we actually have a quantum computer in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Uh, it's called the Titan. And uh, oh, yeah. the speed of the speed of that computer is uh, four quadrillion floating point computations per second. If you can, if you can picture that. Uh huh. Four. Qu-
quadrillion floating point computations, which are the longest computations per second. That's how fast it is. So with that kind of with that kind of computing power, you can do a lot of things. Plus, they also the, yeah. the Nazis also have nano nanotechnology, which I talk about in the book. Uh-huh. Uh, nanotechnology allows them to do things with microscopes, special microscopes, that they can actually they can actually manipulate actual atoms and molecules directly. Uh-huh. Just think of how how small a molecule is. So this is the kind of technology they have, and uh, well, yeah, I- they have tre- a tremendous advantage over us. And what it, what they what if we do have any any people here who are concerned about uh, our, our civilization and our values, they are kept under under control. They're kept under control. Now, do we have pro, do we have um, any bases on on Mars or the Moon, um, or yes, is yes, it we just do. the Nazis? Yes, we do have a, a Mars base. It's been there since 1962. I'm okay. sorry, 1964. It's a joint U.S.-Russian Mars base. And we share it with the reptilians and with the uh, Nazis. And uh, the, the, the dark fleet controls all, all traffic, all space traffic in and out of Mars, just like a regular airport. And uh, if, if you're not supposed to be there, they won't let you land there. So they're in control. Uh, you may recall that we we initially sent up some uh, some um, uh, some some airships, not some airships, some some uh, technology to Mars that was shot down. Nobody knows yes. what happened to it. It disappeared. You know, that's what that's what uh-huh. they do. They just shoot them down rather than let them land. Well, I do remember when. Um it was one of the um one of the space shots to the moon where the they got out to do a walk and they looked around and they said that there were huge spaceships on the rim of the crater that they had landed in and um they were warned not to come back to the moon and we didn't go back that's right that's right but that was so not, not put out there well, it I mean, should be understood, though, that we did have we did have several other missions after uh, after um, the one where we where we sent up the manned mission to the moon. We had we had two or three others after that that were top secret. The last one was Apollo twenty, and that was sometime in the seventies, I believe. Uh, that was the last wow. one. Well, it just and and you know when uh, Trump said in his 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 State of the Union that that we were going to go to Mars and the Moon again, so one wonders if he knows that we're welcome or not. Um, it just it, well, it I know just, he gets it, a, he gets a CIA briefing every morning. Who knows what he knows? I don't know what he knows. Uh, he may know a lot, but w- again, he may not. I suspect he knows he knows a lot because not everything, probably, but um, that he formed a um, a space patrol 
and Solar Warden is already out there, so it would seem to me that he's opening the door to be able to merge with Solar Warden so that it, it's not a shock to the general public that, you know, this technology is out there. Although um, the the rockets and so forth that we use to get to, to the moon and to wherever are, are probably so antiquated compared to the anti-gravity uh, ships that we we must have i mean it it's there are a lot of um we have certainly been reverse engineering discs that that were that were of alien technology so that it would seem to me that that we we should have saucers of our own by now oh yeah we do we've had them for a long time but they're in the hands of the uh, what they call the cabal but the ball is not really uh, necessarily the good guys. The uh, the ball basically works with the Germans and the Nazis. So you see, like, we don't know we don't know who's on who's on the good side and who isn't. Okay, that's the problem. That's the problem. We I do have know often that, uh, friends. Well, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. We do have a lot of friends in the galaxy and in the solar system, but they can't do it for us. They have to let us do it ourselves. They help us in any way they can, Pleiadians, uh, Arcturus, and other planets that are basically human are here to help us, but they can't do it for us. We have to do it ourselves. The human race has to grow to the point where our consciousness has to grow to the point where we can deal with it ourselves. Uh then, Then we'll become the Star Trek generation at that point. Well, it's just, you know, it it seems to me that, that um, with all these UFO sightings, I, 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 did, I do begin to wonder if, if it's alien or if it's one of ours or one of Russia's or one of China's or one of Japan's, um, that, you know, the technology is out there with, with just about every government. And it, it, it's probably very difficult to know whether they come from space or whether they come from this planet. Um, exactly. Well, we do know that, you know, the Chinese sent us to send a probe to the moon that went around the moon and landed on the dark side. So they have, the, if they have the technology to do that, then we know that China is quite advanced at this point. Maybe more, maybe more than we are. It's a little scary. Uh, yeah. I, I know that, that some of the technology that, that, the memory storage I found was fascinating um, with the cyborgs and the fact that um, you could you could take memories and put them in another body. You could transfer your memories to another body, um, and and it, it was fascinating to me in in many ways. If you have your consciousness, I mean that's you, that's your spirit. Um, it would seem to me that that you know, you could be in the physical for, for eternity if you wanted to be. Well, if you wanted to be, yeah. Assuming that the body didn't wear out, which it probably would eventually. Um, <laughs> I think we could be living much longer lives if we had the right technology. There's no question about that. Oh, yeah. The, um, the reptilians and the Illuminati, they keep us uh, in a state of... Uh, of being sick and deformed and 
dying in our, at dying at a point where we should be able to live well beyond a hundred, well beyond a hundred years. Oh yeah, hundred twenty, uh, I think somebody said. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people who are, are over a hundred already. But um, you know. And I, I think one thing that you mentioned in the book, and you just kind of mentioned it, and when I saw it, I thought, oh, that's the first I saw that. Um, you mentioned that there was a survival of the Roswell crash. What what happened to it? I mean, it, it, it lived for a number of years, apparently, after the crash. Yes, it did. It lived for five more years. Um, the Roswell crash was, as you know, was in 1947. Seven. Yeah. And uh, the alien was taken to Los Alamos uh, in New Mexico, and uh, we interacted with him for five years. He stayed alive for five more years, and then he died in 1952. But uh, before he died, he got in contact with his planet, Serpo, and uh, had six conversations with them. Uh-huh. And one of those conversations was was talking about an exchange program. And they agreed to an exchange program. But they said they would not be able to do it for 10 years, which would have made it 1962. And that's exactly okay. what happened. We, we, sent, uh, we sent 12 Americans to their planet in 1962 on an alien spaceship. That became known as uh, Operation Project Serpo, and I wrote uh-huh. a book on. I wrote a book called Project Serpo on that subject. That was that was my uh, second book. Now they didn't all come back. Um, no, twelve twelve went and seven came back. Okay, some some chose to stay, and and I think at least one passed away while he was there. Exactly. One one died on the way there. Of a ah. pulmonary embolism, and uh, two died on Serpo, and two of our people decided to stay there. They wanted, they wanted to stay there. They liked it. Oh, so, I can understand that. Yeah. So we said, okay, stay there if you want. And uh, <laughs> we don't really know what happened to them after that. But seven, seven well, came back, and they were de- they were debriefed for a solid year. Now, question: Were they debriefed and then memory wiped, or were they debriefed and just how could you go back to normal life after that? Well, they were they were they were handsomely rewarded with money and uh, prestige, and they were well taken care of. Uh, but they did not live very much longer because they were exposed to a tremendous amount of radiation on that planet, ah. and that shortened their lives when they got back. But um, I was told a very interesting story about that by, uh, I think it was Bob Dean. I can't, do, you, do you remember Bob Dean? Do you know who he was? The name's familiar. I, you know, probably not. He mentioned that, uh, no, I'm sorry, it, it was John Lear. It was John Lear who told this story, I believe, that at one of the okay. conferences, one of the UFO conferences, a man showed up who uh, was very mysterious and 
the impression was that he knew more about the Serpo story than anybody there, but he wasn't he wasn't revealing it. And then he just he just smiled and walked away. Uh, somebody said that he was he was one of the astronauts that, who had returned, and uh, he got a kick out of going to the conference and not not saying very much. <laughs> <laughs> Probably sitting back and laughing. Um, exactly. I think one. One of the one of the um, one of the forms of technology that they have <clears throat> is the smart suit, um, which blew me away. Um, yeah. You want to talk a little about that because I, I amazing. This this is information that we got from some of the super soldiers who came back and who recovered uh-huh. their memories that. Smart suit technology they have on Mars uh, basically is so advanced that uh, there's nothing like it on Earth at all. Okay. And in my book, I talk about the smart suits. I, I describe I describe them in detail. Uh, in the back of the book, I have a section. Call, uh, I have a I have a an appendix called a review of German Nazi off-world technology. Uh huh. And it covers all the advanced technology that they have on Mars and the Moon. Now I'll tell you what I'll tell you what I said about the smart suits if you want to hear it. Oh sure. Uh, let's see. This is amazing technology that was developed by the Nazi scientists at the Cybernetics Laboratory on Mars, which is really an ICC facility. ICC is the inter- intergalactic corporate conglomerate. Uh, it's mainly dominated by the Germans. These uh-huh. suits are lightweight and form-fitting, and they are technological marvels. According to Ileana, the star traveler, we can talk about her later if you'd like to. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the suits are totally protective against most weapons, whether physical guns or laser energy or directed energy weapons. The suits are created using nanotechnology, which we can all talk, also talk about later if you'd like, and can protect oh, yeah. against most kinds of directed or even generalized attacks. They automatically monitor all biological functions and are programmed to supply nutritional supplementation to the body when needed without the wearer's conscious awareness. The, suit also, the suits also dispose of all biological wastes automatically by means of chemical dissolution and transformation. This also happens under the level of conscious awareness so that soldiers in these suits can focus on military operations without distraction. The suits are attached to quantum computerized helmets that can transport the wearer to other planets in the solar system without the use of a spaceship. That's the smart suit. That gives you some idea of the kind of technology we're dealing with here. So they don't actually, once if they've got one of these suits, they don't actually need transport transportation. They just need it's kind of like a, a Stargate to a degree, but you just have to think about where you want to be, and there you are. Well, they can self they can self teleport. They can teleport themselves, and yeah. um, they also have the ability to teleport the spaceship that they're in. They're the, they can do that too, just like on Star Wars. Remember in Star Wars when he pressed a certain button, 
they went into hyperspace. Yep. Same idea. Same idea. They have that capability. They have that technology. Well, I think one of the things that, that Corey Good talked about was was the uh, cosmic web, which makes a great deal of sense. You know, the all stars and planets are are, are linked electromagnetically with with filaments, and so and that makes sense. Space can't be empty. There's got to be stuff there, and and exactly. it, it seems so that so that. And, he, and he, I think you said that they were sometimes referred to as wormholes, but it's sort of like if you if you hit a filament or if you hit a, hit one of those um, um, streams of electro, electromagnetism that that you could just flow flow along with it till you got to where you wanted to be. So you wouldn't need fuel in your spaceship at all. You just would be on that particular like a like a monorail. Sort of. It's instantaneous. It's instantaneous travel. You go through the when going through the cosmic web. Corey Good calls it the cosmic web. It's basically uh, connects connects all of the planets by electromagnetic filaments such that it once you once you get into it, it takes you uh, anywhere on that in that circuit instantaneously. It's instantaneous. How do they direct it? Is it, it is, a, is it a matter of being connected um, intellectually through through a helmet or a thought pattern that that takes you to where you're supposed to be? It's all in technology. Yeah, they program it with the quantum computers. They have they know exactly how to program it so that they can go where they want to go uh, under computer control, under quantum computer control. And quantum computers are unbelievably fast. So that's how that's how it works. So so in essence there really are stargates. Yeah, essentially uh, if you if you're going through the cosmic web, you're going through a stargate. That's essentially what a stargate is. It's amazing. Tell tell it us is. a it's little incredible. about about Ileana. Ileana was an amazing. Uh, she's she's still alive. She was on Mars for 55 years, and uh, she was taken as a young girl and lived there. She went through teleportation to Mars and uh, was educated there. But they knew they knew that she had a certain capability in dealing with uh, languages. They knew that even though she was taken at a very young age, they knew that she was capable of uh, working with languages of all types and being being able to translate from one to the other. So they wanted that they wanted that expertise on Mars, and um, they trained her when she got there. And eventually, she went to work in their cybernetics laboratory uh, on Mars in the, at the ICC at the Interplanetary Corporate Conglomerate. And she lived there and worked there for 50 years. She's back now. She was age regressed back to her original age when she came back here as a young girl. Uh And uh, she's now like, I don't know, maybe in her 50s or 60s here. And she goes to, uh, she's very, very helpful. And she got a lot of, uh, you have, she got a lot of videos out there on YouTube. So if you want to look up her stuff, I would recommend it highly. 
look under Ileana, I-L-E-A-N-A. That's the name she goes by. Her uh-huh. name is Elena, really, Kapolnik, K-A-P-U-L-N-I-K. And she has a tremendous amount of knowledge that she's recovered. She's recovered all her memories now. So she she remembers everything that happened with her on Mars. Wow. And, uh, you could you could consider her a super soldier, but she's she's beyond being a super soldier really. It you know, they, they do this twenty and back. Does Solar Warden do that as well or is that just the dark fleet? Well Corey Good went through the twenty and back program. And he's he was Yeah, but he remembered Warden. everything. <laughs> yeah, but it takes a t- it takes a while to recover those memories. They don't just they don't just come back to you in, in, instantaneously. A lot of a lot of these people have to go through hypnotic uh, sessions, uh, laborious hypnotic sessions to recover those memories. And uh, Penny Bradley not only had to remem- recover her memories, she had to recover pieces of herself that were taken away from her, her uh-huh. consciousness. She had to recover the, the missing. <laughs> she had to recover the missing pieces of her consciousness. Yeah, that makes and sense. she went through many years of, uh, of of doing that, of work doing that, of mental effort doing that. Um, during during World War II, um, Maria Orsas Orsas I, I can't pronounce her last name Maria Orsas she was a psychic Orsas thank you um, she led a group of of psychics that. Um, Helped help the German scientists, and um, it's it's interesting because I've seen in a couple of places that a picture of her was shown to Billy Meyer, who said, "Well, that's Simyasi, who you know tutored me and helped me along and stuff like that." Now, was she was she working with the reptilians? Was she a reptilian? Do you have any idea? What that connection is, because it, it it she seems to have been in contact with people here on the planet, and um, it's it's uh, obviously she had some sort of connection to, I believe the reptilians, but I'm not sure. Well, I don't know whether she had any connection to the reptilians because uh, Maria Orsich was part of a group of women. Uh, in the 20s, the 1920s, before Hitler ever came to power, that was yeah. that was called the uh, the Thule. Uh, she was part of the Thule group, and uh-huh. they were all mediums. The women in this group were all mediums. Maria Orsic was very interested in contacting a civilization in the constellation of Aldebaran. She seemed to be pre- preoccupied and obsessed with with contacting entities uh, in that star system. And she was able to do that psychically and to communicate with them. And supposedly they helped her with technology that she passed on to uh, to professor, uh, uh, to one of the German professors. And that's how the Germans developed their flying, their flying sources initially. This yeah. was before Hitler. This was before Hitler came to power, and uh, what is speculated that she she opened up a teleportation portal 
that's a portal to Aldebaran. Uh, and was able to eventually actually leave the planet and go through that portal. That's all That's all she wanted to do was get back there because she considered that to be her home. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, but she helped, uh, she helped this, one of the German scientists named Schumann develop the first, the first anti-gravity saucer in Germany. They, they also had before, a thing. That was before Hitler came to power, though. Oh, okay. Now, they also had been working on a, um, a device they called the Glock the Bell. Oh, was yeah. that for was was that for um uh anti gravity or was that for time travel? I don't know too much about the bell. There are other writers that know more about that than I do. Uh, I think that was for teleportation. I believe that okay. was for teleportation. They did discover the, the shell in the black forest, correct? Is that what happened? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I know. Uh I've, that had to be for time travel. Yes, I agree with that. It must have been. Because it's, I think it's fascinating because it turned up. Um, it didn't turn up immediately. It turned up quite a quite a a, a bit of time after they they had um, done the experiment, and the structure that they used is still there, but they haven't been able to figure out what it what it did or what it was supposed to do. So. I wondered if you had any insight into that, because it, because they certainly were were experimenting with so many different, um, different kinds of uh, scientific stuff that was way beyond its time. Uh, who was the the little boy that turned up in the photograph uh, before uh, the Gettysburg Address? Oh, okay. The, you want to talk about that? Do you want to talk about yeah. that now? I will say I will yeah. say this about the, the I will say this about the bell. I think it's connected to the crash. Well, it wasn't really a crash; it was a landing at Aztec, New Mexico. I think that was in New Mexico. Uh, there's a connection between the bell and that that particular uh, crash there. Some say it wasn't a crash. Some say it was a landing. I don't know anything. I don't know anything more about the Aztec crash. I know a lot about okay. the Kingman crash, Kingman, Arizona. But uh, not too much about Aztec. You may know more about Aztec than I do. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I know some a little bit about the Rendlesham Forest one, but um, not really sure uh, if that fits into all of this or not. But but yeah, let's talk about the tel- the uh, the time travel because that photograph of the little boy on the field at Gettysburg was. It fascinates me. Yes, did you look at that photo? It's very, it's I very uh, convincing, isn't it? I blew there, it up there as he is. far as I could. <laughs> <laughs> there he is, standing in the middle of the field, looking bewildered, with uh, shoes that are four times too large for him, in a Union Army jacket, and uh, he looks very much lost, doesn't he? Very, yes. So do you, do you know the story connected with that? Uh, it, I read about it. You want to tell us about it? Well, do you know who Andy Bashago is? Yes, I do. Oh, so you know about Andy, right? I do. Have you had him on your show? 
Not yet, but I'm hoping for it. Yeah, you should get him. You know, you know. He claims to have been part of a time travel experiment uh, by, uh, developed by the DARPA Defense. Defense. Uh-huh. I don't know what it stands for. DARPA stands for uh, something. A R P A. They developed the time travel capability way back and uh, started sending young children back in time and forward in time. And uh, it was called Operation Pegasus. Uh He was part of that when he was 10 years old. And they sent him uh, forward into the future, and they sent him into the past. And one one of the things they wanted him to do I don't know whose idea it was, but they wanted they wanted him to go and hear listen to the Gettysburg Address. So I believe at the time he was eleven or twelve at that point, and he was sent from New Mexico through a time travel portal to Gettysburg, uh, Virginia, in time to witness Lincoln give the Gettysburg Address. And what happened was he went through a very rough time travel uh, procedure and he was knocked around a lot on the way back to 1863 I think it was 1863 and uh, in the trip back he lost both of his shoes and one of his socks so when he arrived in Gettysburg uh, he was barefooted and it was November so he had to walk into town into the town of Gettysburg barefooted and he was standing in the middle of the town looking looking into a store window uh, of a clothing store when a gentleman uh, an older man came by and noticed that he had no shoes on and wondered why he was barefoot in that cold weather and asked him if he would like to go into the store and and get some clothes and he said he would yes so he took him back into the store in that store they had all the uniforms from the soldiers that had been killed in the battle of gettysburg there were thousands of soldiers, Union soldiers killed in Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. And he, the man told him to pick out a jacket and pick out a pair of shoes so that he could be warm. He'd be warm. And, uh, and a hat. And he thanked him, you know, he was a tremendous thing because he otherwise he, he never would have been able to walk in, out to the battlefield and listen to the Gettysburg Address. It was too cold. Uh-huh. So he walked out there, and he was standing there in the middle of the battlefield waiting for Lincoln to begin the address when somebody snapped that photograph. Who who snapped the photograph? We don't know. But somebody had a camera, took that picture. Andy was, that was Andy in that picture. Uh-huh. And Andy, as a grown man, discovered that photograph in a magazine that he was leafing through uh, where he lives in Seattle, he found the photograph of himself taken taken by a photographer at Gettysburg. That's, that's the picture that's in the book. It's an amazing story. So when he came back, did he still have the shoes and the jacket and everything? Evidently, he did. Yeah, sure, he did. Wonder what happened to back. that stuff. Who knows? Who knows what happened yeah, to it? Probably in a Pegasus museum somewhere. I, I would hope. Probably in a time. Um, it's probably in a time travel. It's in a time travel museum somewhere. <laughs> Maybe another dimension. Um, yeah, they they were um, 
as I recall, he they jumped him to a number of different places um, when he was younger. Yes. And um, it, Pegasus was a fascinating project. Uh, it, it, and again, children. Uh, and you're right. You know, they did what they were told. So it, that makes a great deal of sense. And the, if any, if if they talked about what they'd seen, people would think it was just their imagination. So probably a good choice. Uh, you know, poor little thing. But no, I I think that that a lot of these people that have been in these types of programs. I mean, Corey Good fascinates me. I'm chasing after him to try to get him on the show because his experience um, in in the programs that he was involved with and what he brought back, the knowledge and the experiences are are phenomenal. And it's nice to know that that stuff is out there. It, it, it would be nice if we had, you know, access to at least some of the scientific stuff so that, you know, for, for healing, for um, curing injuries and, and, and for curing disease. It would be it would be nice to be able to utilize that for the population, if nothing else. But sure would. Have you tried to get uh, again, him on the show? Um, I've tried. I I haven't been able to connect with him. I haven't been able to get an email on him. But I'm I'm still working on it. I'm beating the bushes. If now, you, you have any information, I, I do. You watch, did you watch the video on my website about Corey Good? I did. I did. Um, what did you think yeah, of that? I just. I thought it was beautiful. I think um, now that you mention that, um, we do want to connect people to your uh, website. Um, you want to give your website so people can check it out too, because um, yeah, it's a fabulous website. Oh, glad you liked it. It's uh, Alien Dash Secret History, all one word: Secret History. Uh, it's still under construction. I've only completed about half of it. I've got a lot more to go. I'm doing it all myself. I don't have a webmaster. So um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm i doing it all myself. And uh, I was able to put music into it, and I got the Star Trek theme in there. And, sure um, and I've got three uh, three featured videos, which I liked. The last, did you did you listen to the last video? I No, I don't think featured. I did. Well, that's about an hour and 15 minutes, so you're going to have to have some time on your hands to listen to that one. But that one is an interview with a man named Frank Chili. Have you heard of Frank Chili? No, I haven't. He's an amazing guy, and if you have time, you should listen to that video because he seems to know an awful lot. Where he got his information from, I'm not sure, but um, he knows all about the German technology. He knows all about time travel he knows it all and um, that's why I put that, that video out there at number three so if you get a chance you should listen to that I, I will I, I think that your website first of all it's beautiful it's beautifully done and um, I, I think that 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 your book too is amazing I was fascinated by it you know some of it you know, rang, you know, resonated with other books that I've read and other material that I've looked at, and and it kind of expands it so that 
you know, what what might have at some point in time been, oh, this is just science fiction. It, it's like it's coming from so many different places that um, Paula um, Harris, I think her book that she wrote on, on the general, on on both on, on, on his life and, and, you know, the fact that he was trying to get the material out there. There are so many people that today are, aware and getting the information out there and I think it's important and and yeah it is it sounds like science fiction and yet somebody like um Spielberg and Roddenberry um they they have done and George fictional Lucas. Don't George Lucas. and, Don't and George, George Lucas. Lucas they've done they've done amazing um science fiction programs and books and and yet, when you look at them now, today, a lot of that material that, that we thought was so amazing and, you know, couldn't possibly ever be, um, like doors opening and shutting for us as we approach them, or, or the cell phone, the flip phones, the tricorders, I mean, all of those, all of those tech, all of those materials that they utilized our second nature to us now we're that's we're right. at some, that's right that's right so that how about the trans- so that how I'm, about the transporters how about the transporter yeah and those and stargate and stargate and yeah, and you exactly. know and then look at the movie avatar um james cameron has the avatar uh you know humans taking over an avatar that can exist in another planet it's happening it's there it's it's um i i think that these kind of quote unquote forms of entertainment are basically getting a consciousness ready to accept what reality actually is out there at this point in time Absolutely. and um no, no doubt about that no doubt about that it, at all it just it it does make one wonder then you sit back and you look at your reality and you wonder is this a hologram um you know the matrix Another, um, another movie that 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 will will stretch you slightly and and give you another um, way of looking at, at per, another perception of our reality. It, is it really real or is it a holograph we're we're working through? Um, our brains are amazing. Our brains can do phenomenal things. Are our brains projecting? things for us to comfort us in a place and a time and a way that that is uncomfortable. So you do begin to wonder just how much science out there is available to us and how much are we utilizing without even knowing it today. Well, so I, I think the whole the whole game is about human consciousness, okay? That's that's what it's all about. Because uh-huh. The, the human the human being is capable of incredible so humans are capable of incredible uh consciousness we we really are six consciousness six level six dimensional entities uh the reptilians are only fourth dimensional so we we really are much more advanced than the reptilians but and and for that reason they are afraid of us they basically are afraid of us even though they control us for the time being they basically know what our capabilities are. So once we have developed our consciousness to the point where we've fully expanded it to its six-dimensional possibilities, then 
all of the all of those threats go away, and they leave. They have to leave because they can't control us anymore, and because we will develop incredible technology at that point. That's what that's what that's what lies ahead of us. If we can get through this period now, we're being controlled by the reptilians and the Nazis and the Illuminati. So it's well, really a divide and conquer. The strategy is to divide and conquer us. That's how they. That's how they keep us under control. Uh huh. Well, I think that that um, you're familiar with the Rendlesham Forest um, UFO that that landed in the woods. Yes. Yes, I am. Uh huh. Okay. Well, um, the the um, one of the soldiers that actually touched it. Um, there was a download of binary code to him, and and a number of years later, it was it was actually translated, and um, part of the uh, part of part of the translation had um, a number of the latitude and longitudes of, of spiritual sites around the globe, but the other part of it was a message that basically said something to the effect of the human um, species. Um, still maintain still maintaining uh, viewing of the human species and the origin of the vehicle was eight thousand years in our future. So yes, um, that I'm particular sorry? vehicle was eight thousand years in our future. The the message that was down downloaded it was it was like a drone. It was, you know, a large drone, size of a car, I think. And and he said he ran his hands over the surface of it, and he felt certain um, glyphs on it. He didn't know what they meant, but there was a large glyph, and when he put his hand on it, he got a download of binary code that he did write down in his notebook. And a number of years when it was translated, it was basically that that vehicle was from 8,000 years in the future, and the message was that humanity was still there. Well, that's, so that's comforting. <laughs> that's it, comforting. It is. It is. You know, it, it's you know every now and then when I interview somebody that's that's in this time zone that that is like um, tomorrow for me, it's kind of nice to know that I'm talking to the future and we're still here. So um, well, knowing on this that planet or another planet. On this planet. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's so, nice to know. So, it's nice to know that we'll still be around in 8,000 years. Yeah. Um, sometimes sometimes I, it's hard to believe. Well, it came through. Now, see, in my to to what I understand, and it may just be my perception, I don't believe that this was something that traveled through space. I think it came through an interdimensional portal. Yeah. So that so that so, so that. So that, so that space ships aren't really needed anymore. So no, um, they're not. At, not in at, terms of time travel. No, not in terms of time travel, but in terms of space travel, they are. Yeah, but but this thing just slipped through and and you know just hovered there so that he could you know touch it, run his hands over it, get the download, and they they he went back the next day and and there were. There were indentations in the ground where these beams of light were, but there was no physical tripod or anything. And um, you know, he's he's for years. You know, people have been 
he's carried around this notebook that nobody asked to see. He was in the military. Nobody asked to see it, so he just hung on to it. And then suddenly somebody said all these ones and zeros were binary code, and then they did get it translated. And it was, and I think there was more to the translation, but he didn't share it in his book or when I interviewed him. So um, I guess that's for the next book. But um, it's fascinating that um, more and more, I guess maybe it's because people are, are are comfortable and aware that there may be something else out there so that they they basically will listen and even if they don't believe it, you've planted a seed in their consciousness. And that's the important thing. But sooner or later that seed takes root and grows and that person will go into the, okay, if this is possible, then what else is? And they start to research it and they start to understand it. And the more they understand, the more they become aware. So that so that your your book is, is amazing because it it's there. It's there to plant seeds and have people think about it, wonder about it, and and even if they say no, no, uh, there's a part of them that is saying, yeah, pay attention. There's something here, and and I believe that in our lifetime, Solar Warden will actually become known to the whole all of humanity. I believe that part of it, it is. I'm hoping that. Yes, I hope so. I hope so. And and with and, that, uh, lot, you know, lots of doors open. And when that awareness is there, then those that are under control have free will. And and when they suspect there's something more, they can shake off the control. I think exactly. we're fully capable right. of that. That's why it's so, all about so, expansion of consciousness. That's the whole game is expansion of consciousness. Yeah. Once once we get to a certain point, nobody will be able to control us. Yeah, I I think we're seeing the beginning of it. Uh, I I would like to think I do believe that, um, you know, the work that I have done over the last fifty years or so, there was a time I might have been burned at the stake for some of the stuff that I've done and write and written, <laughs> and and <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> but but. Don't do that um, anymore, do they? No, no, no. I mean, you know, they can be even more cruel sometimes by what they say and and things like that. But you know, it, it's sort of like, um, it, I saw a UFO land on my campus when I was in college, and even though there was a tremendous amount of ridicule over the years, um, you know, I still talked about it because I know what I saw and I know what I felt. So, um. It wasn't until, you know, another maybe, oh gosh, fifteen twenty years ago that that I I I read a book by somebody who said that was one of the authenticated UFO landings, and so it validated, gosh, decades of people saying, yeah, how much did you have to drink that night? So, <laughs> what college was that? I was uh, Eastern Michigan University. It was okay. in the early 60s. It was uh, J. Allen Hynek actually came and investigated it and called it swamp gas. But um, oh, when the thing, <laughs> yeah, when 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 it took off, uh, it blacked out the sky. It was it was only oh. probably a, a couple hundred feet over my head, and 
it was fascinating because I was in a group of girls, and yet some didn't see it, some did see it, and some just totally went hysterical on us. So, again, a level of consciousness. You know, if you're ready to see it and accept it, you do. And if you're not, you don't. Exactly. That's what it's about. And, and and like in strange, uh, what is it? Close Encounters of a Third Kind. One of the things they said when they were putting, you know, the guy that climbed the mountain on it, they said you have to let him go because he was invited. And I think that that's how I felt at that moment—that I was invited to understand something bigger than I knew. Yeah, but we'll see. It that way. Yeah. Yeah. What year it was, was that? It was that a, was in the sixties. That was in the sixties I graduated um, in sixty six, so it was sixty five, sixty six in there someplace. Yeah. That was a long time. Well that's <laughs> it right. It takes time, time for those things to, to come around, you know. They, these things have to come around. It takes time. It does it it does, it does. But I am going to make sure I plow through your other books so I can get you back on. Um we're almost out of time. I, I wanna thank you so much for taking the time to, to to reminisce and go go through your book with me and, and highly recommend Dark Fleet to anybody who has the slightest bit of curiosity because it's it'll actually it'll drive you nuts. There's so much material here. Okay. Thank you very much. The book's available on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Inner Traditions. Uh-huh. You can get it just about anywhere. And, yeah, I'm uh, gonna have I'll have the link on my website, um in the book section, and, and the link will take you to Amazon so that you can order it from there. But um, so I'm, glad you, I'm glad you liked my website, though. Uh, oh, I have a lot more, beautiful. I have a lot more work to do on it, though. Well, listen, I'm still working on mine, and it's been up for I don't know how long, but I had a good webmaster who gave me the bones, and I continue to hang stuff on it every day. So um, <laughs> there's always something new, but... I thank you so much, uh, Len, and and um, look thank forward you. to having you thank back you, on again. Okay, it's Barbara, been a thank pleasure. You very much. I've really take, enjoyed take it care. very much. Thank Me you. too. Take care. Okay, you too. Good night. Good night. And and thank you everybody for joining us for listening to us. Um, I hope we made you curious. I hope you. Uh, take the time to pick this book up and read it because I don't I don't really, you know, suggest often that you actually have to go out and read a book. I have a good friend who I'm I'm hammering because she doesn't like to read books and this is one I think she has to read. So I may lose a friend on it, but you know, he may sell a book. Um, but please um, check us out on the YouTube channel if you like what you see there and here. Please subscribe to it. And be with us next. Uh, be with us tomorrow night. Uh, Mark has an interesting show, and then of course next week as well. So have a great evening, everybody. Thanks for joining me. Good night. Have a great one. <laughs>